0: In the fall of 2001, Pastor Eugene Peterson published a book entitled The Wisdom of Each Other, a conversation with spiritual friends. And the book comprised letters that he had written and sent to a longtime Christian friend. And these letters are meant to show us that through the many struggles that life has, perhaps even more valuable than the input from experts, perhaps even more valuable than that, is the wisdom of a good and godly friend. In fact, he makes the case that Christians cannot really mature in their life without the wise counsel of good friends. God didn't make us to go it alone in this life, to try to figure out everything for ourselves, but instead to grow in knowledge and holiness from the wisdom of God. each other. And that's why today's sermon title shares the title of this book. Because in chapter 18 of Exodus, which is the last chapter of this half of the book of Exodus, it's all about the importance of learning from the wisdom of each other. And the last bit of wisdom we get, I think, comes to us from a surprising place. It comes from Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law, and maybe more surprisingly to us, is not a person from the tribe of Israel. He's a priest to a god previously we had no idea about. And he's from the tribe of Midian. So after all, we might ask, what kind of wisdom can we get from an erstwhile pagan to a people Or from a people that's outside of the people of Israel? What can we really learn from this man? As it turns out, quite a bit. But before we dive into that this morning, I want us to just remember where we've been. Now last week in chapter 17, you recall that the Israelites stumbled across their long-lost cousins, the Amalekites. And instead of it turning into an opportunity for a joyful family reunion, it turned into a bloody family feud. And later in Deuteronomy, we'll read from Moses, reminding the Israelites years later about this event, the Amalekites proved that they were enemies of God. And they proved that because they went after the weakest of the people of Israel. Not the strongest, not the most powerful. They went after the stragglers. So they showed themselves to be against God because they were against God's people. And so while the hope that this clan this clan of uh, the Amalekites who were also from Abraham's line, the the hope that they might be restored and reconciled to Israel and, and because of that, that they might be blessed under God's covenant, well, that all goes up in smoke in this passage. But still, while they ruin their chance to be a part of the blessing of God's covenant, we see how God is still faithful to keep His blessing going and confirming it and these weak-willed people. When we see Moses the prophet, Aaron the priest, and Her from the tribe of kings, when they pray together for God's protection, God offers it. Even though they're weak in strength, weak in body, and the Lord grants them victory over the Amalekites through the military skill and prowess of Joshua. So that prayer leads them to victory. But furthermore, it leads God to respond to them. After all of this has happened, He tells Moses for the first time to commemorate all of what has happened to them up until this point in the writing of a scroll. And He says it for this purpose, so that they can remember. They can remember. That if they choose, like the Amalekites, to walk in the path of sin and death, they'll incur the same curse, the same defeat that the Amalekites did. But if instead, they can remember to walk the path of trusting not in themselves, but in God's wisdom, trusting in His provision, trusting in His love and His life for them, then they'll share the blessing of His eternal presence. Now, I say that they will share in this. And I choose that word carefully because not only will they share it with one another, but in turn, they'll share it even with other nations who will also turn from sin and um, self-realization and turn and trust to the Lord and come into His kingdom to inherit eternal life. And so all of that is what brings us to our final passage of this half of Exodus. Chapter 18. Look with me at these verses. Now, as a whole, for chapter 18, the the biblical scholar Christopher J.H. Wright says this is kind of a delightful chapter. We get a bit of a respite from all the craziness that's gone on before and some of the crazy stuff that will come after. It's a quiet zone, he says, between the noisy stories of the plagued and drowned Egyptians plus the grumbling and battling Israelites on one side, so beforehand. And on the other hand, we have the thunder and fire and smoke and trumpets of God on Mount Sinai. On the other, we have before and after. These are really intense moments. But here we kind of have a break, an interlude almost. And in this temporary time of peace, Moses gets a blast from the past. He gets a visit from Jethro, who we've also read goes by the name Rule sometimes. And he comes to visit him in the wilderness. In verse 1, it tells us that Jethro heard about everything that God had done for his man Moses. And furthermore, everything that God had done for His people Israel by bringing them out from under Pharaoh and out from under the power of Egypt. Now remember, when we first met Jethro, and I think this is probably the last time we've even spoken of him, it was all the way back in chapter 2, at the very beginning of the book of Exodus. And this is actually the area in which we first encountered him. This is the area he was living in. So in some ways, while we say that Jethro came to visit Moses, really Moses was making his way towards, back towards Jethro. And so here in the wilderness around Mount Sinai, or sometimes called in Scripture as Mount Horeb, that's where these two find each other again. So again, it's really, I think, Moses returning to his adoptive family with Jethro welcoming him back with, with open arms to the very mountain of God where the Lord first revealed Himself to Moses and promised to Moses and to the Israelites what He was going to do to free them and not only was the, the 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 mountain where God first introduced Himself and said, I'm going to redeem you, but it's the mountain that we'll go back to where the Lord will establish His law and His covenant in a few days, giving Israel a new identity and a new covenant in Himself. So this is a very important place for this chapter to be taking place. And so we also read that not only... Um, was Jethro there, but also Zipporah, this woman that Moses was married to um, and who had apparently been staying with her father while Moses was advocating for Israel and Egypt. Now this is what's really interesting, I think. So we already knew that Moses had a son named Gershom. And I, that name means I'm a resident alien in a foreign land. We talked about that some months ago. And that reflected the, the feeling of isolation That Moses had. He had been rejected by the Egyptians, rejected by the Israelites, and he's out here in the wilderness and he has this son and he names him something that reminds him of his isolation. That feeling of oppression from Egypt, from isolation from Israel. But then we learn of another son that had not been mentioned up until this point. I think that's on purpose. We learn that he has another younger son named Eleazar. And his name is quite different from his brother's name. Because his name means my father's God is my helper and my rescuer from Pharaoh. Which reflects not how Moses felt at the beginning of the story, but reflects how Moses is feeling now. That God has rescued him from the power a Pharaoh in Egypt. So in the name of these two boys, we kind of get the whole story of Exodus up until this point. The feeling of sorrow and grief at the terrible suffering under, uh, uh, under Pharaoh in Egypt. And the, the feeling of joy and elation as God steps in to advocate for His people and to deliver them from all forms of oppression. So we see in the name of these two children a whole theology of the book of Exodus. I said, just it's kind of an interesting aside. I think. Well, we read that Moses kisses his family, no doubt, with tears filling his eyes and joy in his heart, and he bows down in humility to uh, as a gesture of gratitude to his father-in-law. And then we read they go into the tent together and have fried chicken, no doubt. No, probably not. Maybe some boiled goat or. Or, or, or some sweet fig cakes, but they have a meal together and, and they start talking and catching up about all that's happened. Moses, we read in verse 8, recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardships that confronted them on their way and above all, how the Lord had rescued them. That's what's on Moses' mind. That's what he sees is important to talk about. How God destroyed their enemies and how He did it for His great love of His people. In other words, I would say that Moses here is sharing the good news. Moses is sharing the Gospel as he has it in this moment. Of what God has done To save his people. Now, whether he realized it or not, and I suspect he probably had no idea, Moses is being a witness of God's grace. He's being an evangelist of the mercy of God. And he declares his love of God so that it may be received by this other person, by Jethro. It can be received with joy. And it can be confessed with faith. And it can be celebrated in hope. See, church, I think what Moses does here is exactly the same thing that we Christians are called to do today. We tell the story. We share the good news of what God has done for us. What God has done for us and Jesus Christ, how He's rescued us from the oppression of sin and death, and how He's delivered us to a new and better life. you remember how Moses told Israel that they would be a kingdom of priests to the nation? That they would bear witness to what God had done for Israel and what God would and could do for these other nations if they would repent and believe? See, this is a theme that Peter even takes up in his letter to the churches scattered around Asia Minor thousands of years later. He sees the importance of this theme that God's people are to become a kingdom of priests. That they are to see themselves, although they may be in exile, both physical and spiritual, that they are to be witnesses of what God has done for them. And I think that is exactly what Moses is doing. He is being a kingdom of priests to Jethro, the pagan priest. This is interesting. See, Moses isn't here really to talk about the good that he's accomplished for Israel. He's not here campaigning for how all the tax breaks he's gotten for Israel and the the, the, the better land development deals he's going to get for them. He He's not here to talk about how his faith has been unwavering and his actions have been brave because that simply wouldn't be the case. Moses, instead of talking about himself, Moses, by the way, who murdered a man and then fled into the wilderness, and when God said, I'm going to use you to rescue Israel, he came up with every excuse he could think of. That's the Moses we're talking about. Moses isn't bragging about himself or what he's done, although he's a very remarkable man. Moses instead simply shares the good news of what God has done for him and for His people. See, sharing the Gospel for us Christians is not talking about ourselves. It's not talking about how good we've been. How moral we are. How we haven't gotten our hands dirty with this class of people. How we've always been wise in our investments and our dealings. It's not to talk about how much sin and temptation we've resisted. Because if we know ourselves truly and honestly, that conversation would be very short indeed about how good we are. If we spoke really truthfully about who we are as people, it wouldn't be good news to anybody. Especially to us. But instead, when we talk about what God has done for us, how gracious He's been to us, how forgiving and patient and loving and compassionate He's been to us in the past, He is being to us now, and He will be to us in the future. Well, folks, we could talk about that all day and night. To invite others, as the apostles did, we all, all we have to say is come and see Jesus. Not come and see Maranatha. Come and see evangelicalism. God forbid. Come and see Jesus. Or as the psalmist saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the task that we have. We don't point to ourselves, our traditions, our theologies, our doctrines, our good works. We point to Jesus. And that's what Moses does. And Jethro's response to his testimony is what we would hope for when somebody has the good news given to them He rejoices in what God has done. He doesn't rejoice in how successful Moses has been. He rejoices in what God has done. He said, blessed be the Lord who rescued you from the power of Egypt and from the power of Pharaoh. Now I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord, that this Yahweh that you worship is greater than all the gods because he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. So Jethro is delighted. Again, not in Moses or in Israel. He's delighted in what God has done to save His people. And then, from that delight, he moves to praise and worship. Praising God as the Lord. Confessing Him as the only deity worthy of worship. See, there's plenty of people in Jethro's day That have been, that have come under the oppression of Egypt or some other evil groups. But this God, this Yahweh is the only one to whom people have prayed and he has acted against the arrogance and wickedness of people. He's the only God that gets up from his throne and goes to war for his people. No other gods of his day have done that. Now truth be told, we don't really know if Jethro's confession here is a confession of conversion, where this is the first time he's really come to believe in in this God. We don't really know if it's a, 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 a conversion experience or if it's just one of confirmation where he says, well now I know. Maybe he had inclinations to think that. Maybe he thought Yahweh seemed like a good God of many gods, but Whatever happens here, whether he is believing it um, for the first time or it's confirmed in his mind for the first time, the importance is that he believes it now. I want to remind you this morning that when I tell you Sunday after Sunday to trust in Jesus as your Lord, as your God, it doesn't matter if you do it for the first time or if you're doing it for the 500th time. The importance is not in if you're converting in the moment or you're confirming after a long spiritual life. The important thing is that you are trusting in Jesus as Lord now. That's the important thing. It doesn't matter how many spiritual experiences you've had before. It doesn't matter if you've never had a single one. And then like a light bulb, something comes on. The importance is that you trust in Jesus right now. In our evangelical and Baptistic traditions, we place so much emphasis on knowing for certain that we've had past moments and past experiences where for sure we've encountered God, where He's spoken to us and all in His glory and grace that we've heard Him speak to us of our sin and, and, and convict us of it and move us towards Salvation. We so often talk about when was that moment? When was that decision? But let me reframe our thinking about this. Let's not get so hung up on what's happened to us in the past. Although, sure, that's a wonderful and important thing. Let's instead respond to God's grace here, right now, in the present. That's what the emphasis of the Christian life should be. Not what happened in the summer of 1984 but what's happening right now in my life? Do I trust in Christ now? Do I believe this Gospel now? That's so much more crucial than our family history or our pedigree or anything else. We don't inherit uh, the Gospel as if it's something to be passed down uh, like an heirloom from the family. It is something that we inhabit now in the present. Taking hold of it each individually as much as we take hold of it together as a church. So let's not worry about what happened back then, but let's worry about repenting now. Let's worry about believing the Gospel now. Let's come to Jesus as our Savior, as our King, as our God, even right now. Because under the bloody cross of Christ, whether we entered under its blood years ago or we're entering it merely seconds ago doesn't matter but all who enter under it are now welcome at god's table forever this is why jethro being a good priest immediately upon this realization whether conversion or confirmation we don't know but immediately he goes to offer a sacrifice of repentance which then turns into a feast of thanksgiving. See, once the blood has been poured, once the atonement has happened, all that's left to do is celebrate. And so he invites Moses and Aaron and all the elders of Israel to enjoy a holy meal of worship. And this is key. In God's presence, the Lord is there with them the sacrifice has been given, the people have believed it, and now all there is left to do is enjoy and celebrate him together. in these brief verse, 12 verses we've seen the entire journey of faith. we see what it looks like to be a witness and to respond to that witness we've seen what it looks like going from believing the gospel to benefiting from the gospel we've seen how repentance leads to gratitude, leads to praise, leads to worship and fellowship. And here we see our calling as Christians as well. We are to be like Moses. To bear witness to those around us of what God and Christ has done to us. And to bear witness even to the nations. See, Moses is speaking to an international person right here. But this international person is right here in his midst. How fortunate for us, even in our own neighborhoods, here in cosmopolitan Atlanta, we can so easily fulfill the Great Commission of bearing witness to the nations who just so happen to live down the street from us. We're reminded of what Jesus would have, a risen risen Jesus, by the way, would have for all of His people. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, of all peoples baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. This is a great commission. that has been given to Christians to be like Moses. Now, that would be a good way to, to end this sermon, just to tie it up, go out and be witnesses. But we have a surprising ending instead. That could be the end of this chapter, the end of our time before Mount Sinai. But what comes next, I guarantee you, will be surprising. Because the next day, after all this wonderful worship, all this celebration, what a beautiful Sunday morning service they had together. Well, here's Monday morning. We start reading in verse 13 that Moses is trudging out, getting his big mug of coffee and sitting on his stool in the hot desert sun. And from morning until evening, having people come to him with every little dispute, and he's acting as a judge. Now Jethro sees this and is absolutely perplexed, if not altogether baffled. At the end of Moses' day, he says to him, why are you doing this alone, Moses? Why are you handling this? And Moses responds, well, they inquire of, of God from me and And I'm their mediator. I have to make judgments on their disputes based on the laws that God has given to me and has shown to me. And so while Moses is speaking truthfully here, what he's saying is not actually good. Because Jethro, like a compassionate and even a wise parent, rebukes Moses here. He says, you are going to wear yourself out with this task. It's too heavy for you alone to bear it. What you may be doing is good and crucial, but you cannot do it alone, Moses. These people need you for more than what you're doing. And so what comes next to Moses, who's God's prophet, he's the one that speaks to God. He's the mediator between the Lord and the people. But surprisingly, we get the Lord's wisdom from a man who has just recently given his life to the Lord. Moses is not the one that comes up with this idea. It's Jethro that's been of the faith for a not even a whole day maybe. And so that shows us, I think, contrary to our expectations about hierarchies and spiritual pecking orders, that God's Spirit can speak wisdom to us from even the most surprising sources. It's trite and hackneyed to say, but if God can speak through a donkey, I'm sure He can speak through Jethro. And even more so, I, I think this shows us something that we really need to think about deeply as Christian people living in our modern world. That God's wisdom will come to us from very surprising places. It'll come to us from nations, from peoples, from churches that we may never expect to hear God's wisdom from. And yet, He still speaks through all His people. See, I'm not making this up either. Because if you go to John's Revelation at the very end, I believe in chapter 21, He tells us, He describes this great scene of the new heaven and new earth come together. New Jerusalem has come down. The gates are open. People are streaming in. But in verse 24 of that chapter, it's a blink and you miss it moment, but it's a crucial thing that John reminds us of. When he talks about all the people who now trust in Christ, those are the people that are streaming into this new Jerusalem, but they come bearing their glories and gifts to give to Christ. He says this in verse 24, the nations will walk by its light, the light of God in this new place. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Huh. The vision that John has of the future of God's people and His kingdom is that the nations which God had promised Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12 that he would bless, this will be fulfilled in the end. And the surprise that we have about these nations, these peoples, these languages, these tribes, these tongues, is that when they are transfigured and brought into glory, they'll still be recognizably them. And even more surprising, when they come into God's kingdom, they'll bring the gifts and glory and wisdom that God gave to them to give back to the Lord. And so when we all come together in glory one day, in some way beyond our understanding, we'll be transfigured, but we'll still be us. We won't all, you know, I think it was Origen, maybe, the the ancient church father. Some people really didn't like Origen and called him a heretic. Some people said he had good stuff to say. I'm not here to debate that. I'm just saying that when Origen talked about this, he said, What will it be like for us to be in glory? What we're going to look like? And he had this view of these kind of round, amorphous, gl- glowing orbs. That's what he thought we would be. We'd all just be little balls of light going into heaven. He was a brilliant man in many ways. I think he was deeply misinformed about this. But I think we'll be surprised when we get to glory and still recognize the life that we lived here on earth, the places that we lived, the way we talk and the way we sound and the way we grew up. and Those things will still be recognizable in us. They'll just be redeemed without sin or death on them. And so when we get to the actuality of the new heavens and the new earth, I think we'll see a glimpse of the glory of the nations given graciously to the people of God. Because it all comes from the same Father of lights who gives graciously to all. And so I think Exodus 18, we see kind of a a glimpse of, of, of what heaven is going to be like. Notice Moses didn't come up with this idea himself. Jethro, who's a total outsider, is the one that comes and gives him wisdom about how to properly uh, conduct Israel's life together. See, now that Jethro knows the Lord and honors Him alone, he can speak to Moses, and surprisingly to us, with God's authority. He tells Moses to listen to Him, ensuring that in His advice, he's hearing from God Himself. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Impressive. And so the breakdown is this, very quickly. Moses will be the one who represents the nation as a whole before the Lord. And in turn, he'll teach the people the Lord's commands, His laws, His statutes, for them to know, for them to internalize, for them to be transformed by. But here's what Moses really needed to hear. It was not up to him to save these people. He was there to serve them, but he was not there to save them. He was not there to be the ultimate judge and the the ultimate arbiter. He was there to be uh, a servant of God who is judge and king. And so he should enlist other men that God, by His Spirit, can equip to do the same work that He is doing. And so Jethro gives great advice. Get Good godly people that can take care of big groups or small ones. Thousands or tens. But this is what should be true about them. They should all fear the Lord. They should, like Jethro and Moses say, He is the God above all gods. No one is like Him. But they should also be reliable and honest and just men. Meaning that they don't take bribes under the table. That they don't stand by and let certain groups oppress other groups and, and think that's okay because they got buddies in one group. No, they're not those kind of people. That they can truly judge Israel. Now, all the big cases would still come to Moses, but the rest they could handle. And Jethro reminds Moses, he says, and together you can bear this burden as one. This is Jethro's international wisdom for God's people. And in verse 23, he really puts the button on it. He says, if you do this, and by the way, God's the one telling you to do this. (laughs) That's pretty bold of Jethro to say. If you do this, you will endure and the people will be satisfied. So the text tells us that Moses obeyed. He did all of this and it worked. And then Jethro took his and his people and his servants and he, and he went home. And he went home a changed man because Moses had borne witness to him about who God is. And Jethro came to faith. But Moses went on as a changed man also because to the one who he shared the good news, this one in turn believed and then shared wisdom with him that he couldn't come to himself. Isn't that amazing how that works? Moses comes and bears witness to how good God is. Jethro believes it. He believes in God. And then Jethro blesses Moses back by giving him wisdom. See, that's the way that the the spiritual life, the Christian life should work. We go out bearing witness of the God that we know. And we find as people come to faith, they in turn can bless us with wisdom that we could never come to ourselves. May I suggest, dear church, that this is what God has for us. You know, re- Remember, according to St. Paul, we are Abraham's seed. We are the spiritual people of Israel. We belong to Christ. God's promises have been fulfilled for our blessing through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ and we have been grafted into His people, Israel. And through the witness of God's people in our lives, whether our grandparents or our parents, whether our friends or co-workers, whether through strangers or spouses, we have heard the good news of the Gospel and we have believed it. We've heard that God can do something for us when no one else can. That Jesus loves us that while we were still sinners. And like Jethro, we have rejoiced and believed and obeyed it. Now in turn, we who are not a physical part of Israel, again, have been grafted into this family spiritually speaking. We have been blessed by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. And the same Spirit that spoke through Jethro can now speak through us even. And we have the the ability to go and witness and share our wisdom, really not our own wisdom, but God's wisdom to other people who need it. But, even more humbling than that, there will be those that we see come to Christ around us who are from totally different worlds. They'll be different from us ethnically, economically, nationally, socially, educationally, professionally, denominationally. But if we listen to how God is speaking to us, even through those people for whom Christ died and through His Spirit now works, well then, we might just have the joy of benefiting from the wisdom of each other. Let's pray. Lord, as we close our study of this half of the book of Exodus, And we move on to other things. Keep our hearts humble to receive the Spirit's wisdom from Your people across all ages and from around the globe. And Lord, give us the joy to bear witness, Gospel witness to what You have done for us by Your Son Jesus. For it's in His name that we pray and ask all these things. Amen.